Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. In this episode, we begin a new series of unknown number of episodes, perhaps because the topic is relationality, a yin domain where delving into the unknown is not just a good idea, but required. We start off with a radical definition of relationality that completely recasts what a relationship is, how it's not a noun, just like everything else, and why alternative frames for relationality dead end so quickly. I remind you, as always, to please listen to this podcast from the beginning and in order. Thanks so much for listening. Well, welcome forward, everybody. And hello, Stace. Thanks for being here. Uh, I just got an email from uh, one of our, our fans today uh, who has, have, I believe, only as of today, the third part or maybe the fourth part, I can't remember, of the Soul Species um, series came out and we're getting good reviews. And he even sent me a photo saying, can you tell me the Soul Species of this person? I think they're a David Andromeda and I'm having all these issues with her. And uh, <laughs> this is kind of a funny... $2 for the first minute, 99 cents after... For following it, call to get your soul species read right now. <laughs> oh my and, uh, god! Yeah. So, um, yeah, interesting. If you want to, if you want us to do that, uh, send it. We we may not turn it away, but yeah, you can and you can PayPal donations. Sure, um, absolutely. Oh, that's it, great. That's a great idea. Yeah, sure. we're just throwing ideas out. It, it, but soul species was so fun. But now we're getting into what at least feels to me at the moment a uh, graver, certainly less colorful, fun subject. And that is the architecture of relationality, which you predicted would be a six-part series. I think it'll be more like eight or nine. Okay. Because <laughs> I, right. I got lots of questions. In your head, if, if it was just you alone, it'd maybe be six. But with me, Oh, I be, see what you're saying. Oh, yeah. it might be 12 then, Joseph. That's see, right. Uh, you have to include yeah. relationality in your relationship to the talks on <laughs> relationality. Because between the two of us, there'll be more well, uh, well taken. Point taken. So where do you want to start today? Well, how about we define relational space from identity's point of view? Yeah. Uh, the simplest way to begin this is to offer identity's definition, and that is that relational space is two or more people negotiating reality. <laughs> That's meta. That's some meta stuff right there. You wow. bet. Uh-huh. It's a, and, and if you want to spin it a little more nuanced, nuancedly, mm. you would say it's two or more people negotiating the way they process reality. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's even, yeah. Then that gives it a depth too, not just yeah. a height. Mm. Yes, mm. exactly. So, in, in that sense, um, uh, we'll, and we'll get to um, uh, affirming this and, and, and why I'm going to say the next words I'm going to say is that. Relational space in that way is absolutely silent. Mm -hmm. The true um, dynamical uh, stuff of which relational space is made is always in silence. We are negotiating reality first in our silent way we are with our own reality. In other words, we, we, we will 
we will always abstract into words trying to get the other person or persons in the relational space to receive our take on reality in that moment. That's that's loud, uh, abstractively words. As soon as verbality goes into it, we've just artificialized the silent truth of relational space, which is happening way before we ever put words to try to secondarily describe it. So the relational space is essence then. Exactly right. And, th and that triad of, uh, of um, essence, form, and expression, the, uh, the essence is, is um, silent rumination, uh, as we are with our own take on reality in any moment. Uh, the form would be the conceptualization that predates the expression of words. So uh, in one way, uh, until we get our ducks in a row in an old 70s and 80s metaphor, uh, if we don't, if we don't make um, some sort of personal experience of how much our unconscious drives our conscious, which is a silent um, consideration, if we don't make peace with that, our take on reality is going to be inevitably warped by our unconscious so that such that when we form it as a concept and then speak it as a an expression, we're going to be way down line of what actual reality is, even our own. In other words, uh, uh, we're talking about how we each shape our own realities, not cause, uh, uh, we will get to that too today. Oh, I, that's not, I, don't, I don't think I've heard you use those words before, shaping our reality rather than causing it or manifesting it or anything like that. Exactly. That's a great word well, to use. Yeah, we don't create our own reality. We shape it. We can't, no one can create our own reality as much as that's out there in, in silly oh, land very much, uh, yeah. these days. You can't create reality because a, a, a reality is, any reality is always a dyad between the experiencer and experience. Mm -hmm. So to say that I create my reality, the only way that would work is, well, I create the shape of my reality in its dance with what I experience, mm -hmm. you see? And so this is not at all out there, even in a lot of advanced communication theory uh, that's out there, um, such that we, 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 our own reality is only usually about a third of what we are conscious of. The rest, the rest, rest of the two thirds, positive or negative, is unconscious to us. Well, and so, that's just the local part. Then you add in just, the soul's influence and the divine order's influence, and um, it's just a whole rabbit hole right there. Because I, I can see, I think my. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, my third eye sees why you're starting with this, but my brain doesn't yet get it. It's been happening a lot more recently. Um, so why does that? Why does third eye get it? I don't. Oh, uh, it's, it's just like uh, you, I don't know. It's just like well, of course we have to start with how we relate to reality. Oh, now my brain understands. Uh, okay, because we're talking. <laughs> that was really. It's really disorienting when that happens. My brain's like, wait, why are we talking about this? And because I was going to add something to it. And um, because if we're if, if relationality is two or more people negotiating the way they process reality then then it means you can't do relationality unless you're paying attention to how you process reality. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because if exactly. you don't, 
then no. you're going to be doing something other than actual race relationality, which is what most people are actually doing. They're trying, they're trying to negotiate. They're trying to do, they're trying to relate with people without having to look at how they process reality in defense of how they process reality instead of uh, curiosity. Oh, that is beautifully put. I wouldn't have thought to put it that way. Uh, they, they're con people in relationality usually are almost always defending their quote unquote reality not being curious about it. So unless you can shake hands, which it takes a long time to learn how to shake hands with the, the actual reality of your personal reality, you are not going to be doing real relationality. You're going to be doing a twisted, closed off, prismatic um, version of it that refracts actually your actual reality into a twisted wound-based projection-based or unknown-based um, format so look at the complexity if we've got two or more people <laughs> doing that same thing mm -hmm. what is going on here their actual personal realities are not negotiating at all they're all, only their conscious versions which has led me to say to start out here that unless you're curious about how you that you process your own reality and shape it and how you do that and are conversant with it and can feel what all goes into that, you actually can't do real relationality. This is where I, I remember it's usually attributed to Mark Twain, but it's actually a guy named Josh Billings who said, uh, it ain't what you don't know that hurts you. It what you're sh it's what you're sure is true that just ain't so. <laughs> yes. Oh, beautiful. I, yeah. I've heard that before. I didn't know that was from Billing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's I, like, I, I thought it was Twain, too. Yeah, everybody gives it to Twain. It's something Twain certainly would have said, but... Uh, yeah, and uh, then there's um, there's this other line I practically got, got memorized that I use in business coaching a lot from uh, Michael Gerber's Emoth Revisited. He said, um, it's not that most small business owners don't know enough about marketing, operations, finance, etc. They don't, but those things are easy enough to learn. It's that, mm -hmm. they're, it's that they're so sure that they know something when they... Uh, they no, it's that they spend, they spend most of their time and energy defending what they think they know rather yes. than doing whatever it takes to get it right. Yes. I love that quote. And and that goes right into um, what we're what the stream that we're starting to swim in right now and that and that is that most virtually 99% of conflict in relational space is the defense of realities. Mm. Right? It's not the curiosity about reality, it's the defenses, your defense of it. Uh, the, really, that is the algorithm of struggle. Uh, and without curiosity, and of course, what we're saying for more than 40 podcasts, without curiosity, you're going to devolve to over-attaching to your belief system and having no critical thinking space about it. So critical thinking is the play-out uh, expression of curiosity. So uh, before we ever... Um, uh, uh, can sort out all this stuff. And our primary relationship with reality starts with our relationship with our parents, of course. Um, not our cultures, our parents. And if they are not curious about... 
I'm laughing because that's it just hit me. It's so interesting. Like there's so much like well societal conditioning because you can't hold society accountable, and that's why people say it's the culture, it's this culture, society, whatever. Instead of parents, parents, because then the ball would be in, in their hands, and and they'd have to look at you know they're not a victims of culture. Exactly. Instead, um, in the benighted attempt to mollify the whole situation, we we don't want to get stuck in being victim of our childhood anymore, don't you know? Right. Um, we can't because we're the author parents. of our own lives. We can create our own life however That's we want exactly it to be. Right. No, no. Parents did the best they could. We can't hold them accountable for how they templated reality for us. I mean, this is what's so out there and is mm. so frustrating sometimes. Because when you come at relational space from a heart and soul uh, uh, um, basis, you see how much nonsense and, and, and inauthentic caretaking is happening in communicative theory and communicative content. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the, I, mean, when, I mean, look, we've spent, what, 10, 12 minutes talking so far. If the, if the listener hasn't gone, holy shit, I don't know anything <laughs> about relational space. Well, we're making progress. Yeah. Uh, that's where you've got to start. We all have to realize that when our parents templated reality for us, they templated their own in, in, uncurious, uh, non-curiosity about their own basis of reality. They're just going with what they feel they know or think they know. And just like your quote from Josh Billings, uh, uh, it's, it's what you don't know that informs a relational space far, far more than what you think you do know. And if we define it that way, Joseph, we are all um, like, like um, a, a, a fish flipping around in a boat uh, out yeah. of our element and believing we're having coherent and meaningful intercourse. And if you're not sure if um, your parents had a grip on their reality that they were unconsciously defending all through your childhood and they're still alive, tell them some things that you know would challenge their reality, which you generally adult children don't do with their parents and watch right. very carefully what they do and then use that moment and imagine what it was like to be two, three, four, 12, 15, because that's exactly. what they were doing all along, and you probably mostly don't remember it at all, but the scars are there. The scars are there. And this is where, again, we've talked about parenting before in earlier podcasts, but to bring forward here, parents are not to blame for their parenting's uh, um, uh, uh, um, reality, let's say, or belief system, but they are accountable for it. It's not blame, it's accountability. And so that distinction is not out there very well in a lot of parenting and psychological theory, that distinction. That so distinction is, isn't even out there in business. Like when, remember, I remember yeah. when the BP oil spill happened in the Gulf. I don't remember when that was 15, 20 years ago. And like a couple of weeks later or maybe less, the CEO of BP resigned. Yes. And then we were all supposed to like feel okay about that. Like, what, was he operating the equipment? You know, like, yes. what did you right. actually change? Did, what did right. you really learn? Right. And this is what right. they think is accountability in our world. Someone takes the fall for it. And then we're supposed to go on as if everything's going to be fine now. This is what drives me crazy about governmental uh, oh, yeah. um, covenancy. It's uh, uh, exactly it's all optics. Um, someone's <laughs> got to take the fall. But wait, how did the mistake happen? If you don't tell me how it happened in the first place, how can I ever know it's not going to happen again? Yeah. You see, 
So it, it's and this, one more thing and, about that. I'm sorry, I'm I'm jazzed no, today. Um, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. When when my um, man, business owner and manager clients tell me uh, about accountability conversations, <laughs> and they'll say, and I go, oh, "What happened next?" Well, the employee said it would never happen again without getting to the why. I said. Yeah. When they say that here, I absolutely will do this again. That's yeah. how you decode that. Because that's, that's exactly what happens right. if you're not curious. It's just going to happen again. Exactly. So the point here is that the way that we were templated um, by our parents' relationship with reality, they're accountable for putting that into us. This is why identity offers that no one technically is qualified to be a parent until they have become emotionally mature and authentic, which that is the um, the uh, identity's emotive authenticity as a benchmark of having actually a, a, a tenable or sober relationship with reality. If you don't have that, you're going to damage your children with your unconsidered, unconscious uh, uh, re, um, mistake that your conscious reality and belief system is actually, you'll think that it's the reality instead of just yours. So all of this comes together. Those are all nice concept, but concepts, but the, the stream that they all exist in or flow in is the fact that um, we're emotive beings first before we are willful, mental, or physical beings. And that premise has no perhaps arguably no more direct applicability to rubber meets the road human life than in the domain of relationality. And a, f a fine distinction here, um, just because no one on the planet, as far as I know, or would guess, uh, is qualified to have children is different than saying no one should have children. Yes. Because just because if to, to put those together, there'd be no human race. Um, yes, so uh, right. obviously we're, we're all having to learn this. And, you know, it's also observable that most parents, even ignorantly and with no help at all, seem to improve upon how they were parented. Yes. Even if it's just a little, little bit. So it seems uh -huh. to be heading in a decent direction. I just, yeah, in case anybody was like, well, then there'd be no humans. Yeah, I just wanted to respond to that. Right. That, that was one of the first, when I first uh, came, when it came to my brain uh, that uh, no one's qualified to be parents, it, it never occurred to me that, or it immediately occurred to me, well, that can't be the whole story because like you said, <laughs> there's no human race. Right. But the evolution of it is in the meta mostly, and those are tiny, tiny movements. They're yeah. not embodied. The 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 the, the I'm gonna I'm gonna Brie will tell you uh, she had it right at the front of her 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 mind that she was not going to raise uh, her son um, in the way she was raised, and the net result, even having that conscious, she still repeated it. Oh yeah, because all, all the unconscious landscapes. Um, ex pre-exist your mind's choosing or uh, or are optimizing uh, concepts. Yeah. Uh, concepts and 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 beliefs are so far downstream from emotivity, uh, and they think and they they we've been conditioned to believe that those concepts create reality instead of our emotive, um, effused effusive emotive loading is what always informs everything downline, mental, willful, yeah. and 
there's there's a great example of like you know the uh the top 10 list of things that you can't do with your mind you know it's like if you think we're mental beings first then you commit to not uh, repeating the sins of your parents and see how well right. that goes you right. know, and look look what you end up turning out oh and speaking of sin i just have to insert this here uh, at the risk of a rabbit hole do you see the news that the pope francis declared that <laughs> Just it's, it's not a crime, but it's a sin. Yeah, I, I, that was exactly what I was going to say. This is so yeah. wild. I read it. I read this like three times. I went back to it today. I was like, wait a minute. So he said homosexuality is not a crime. It's not a crime. Not a crime. Everybody's talking about it's not a crime. But wait, is it still a sin? He didn't. Yeah. He didn't speak to that. So it still must be right. No, no. He he actually came out and said it. Oh, he did. I didn't see that. He did. It's it's a it's a crime. It's not a crime in the human domain. But it's a sin in God's domain, meaning it's a crime in God's domain. Now that's my that's my uh, a little addition here. Sure, yeah. It's a domain. He said it was a crime. He said it was a crime. It was not a sin. It was a crime, but not a sin. Now, this, you know, bless his heart. I mean, the guy's heart is in the right place. He'd like to change the Catholic Church's uh, belief system to some degree, but there's a metaphysical um, uh, um, collision. If I, I get saw. the image, you know, when you play Twister, there's a little dial and yes. it's like, okay, right hand on red and left foot on right. green. It's That's metaphysical Twister, what he's doing. It's not yes. a crime in this domain, but in another domain. But aren't we supposed to be carrying the truths of that soul God domain into the human? Aren't those supposed to be confluent in Christianity? No, no, no those are two different worlds. Oh, uh, right. I forgot. Remember we talked <laughs> about that. World. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the earth and plane is not d d directly confluent with uh, divinity. Uh, this is the this is the realm of Satan, don't you know? This is where the devil is tempting oh. us all the time, see? So, see. Uh, no, there's no confluency. And that's why identity's basic existential metaphysics there's divine being is seamless this is we're mm -hmm. already in god we're already in heaven the question should be why don't we experience it that way yes and mm -hmm. i just want to own i just did i just committed the sin of relationality there i projected my own paradigm <laughs> our paradigm onto yes. christianity think and, right. and and was non-relational in that way yeah. Because mm -hmm. uh, I, I uh, assumed they had a, a similar paradigm of seamlessness. I thought I had a little bit more. Well, then then why, why are you supposed to be like Jesus? If you're supposed to be like Jesus, then you're supposed to be able to bridge the two domains. Well, Christianity isn't based on the real Yeshua. It's based on a fabrication, fabricated Jesus. Uh, <laughs> the, the fabricated Jesus uh, um, what was um, specifically edited to not not say this world was a toilet like a lot of eastern um yeah. uh, uh, teachers spiritual teachers will say it's not a toilet but it is the place where your will um uh, your relationship with god has to be um, adjudicated by something um other than your own personal desires that's the best way i could say it um, mm -hmm. and so in that sense he uh, the the real yeshua would never say that it was um, a, a, a non-seamless uh, confluency. It's just that the edit, editing for the fabricated Jesus, the Son of God, spermless birth Jesus, um, has to spout, uh, tries, tries not to cr contradict 
the re original motive of making him a son of God in the first place. And that was, of course, Faustus. And, <laughs> just uh, laughing. I've just, <laughs> notice, everyone, how Stace understands uh, Catholicism better than the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> and well, can explain it with rigorous, non-contradictory logic. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, lo logic has its limits, but I was a Pope in a past life. I was. Uh, <laughs> So I tried to I tried to steer it away after a thousand years after it was about a thousand years after I got started and and uh, I didn't last very long. Uh, I got the poison tea before bedtime, like uh, the College of mm. Cardinals uh, does often uh, in 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 the historical narrative of Catholicism. But I, I had to see it from the inside. I had to I had mm. to get that far up. So um, wow. yeah, but but certainly um, I can't claim. Uh, anything except identity's point of view, which is always just an offering, that my my take on Catholicism is the absolute truth and the Pope's is sorely wanting. It's just that um, <laughs> listen to both and then decide which one feels yeah. better to you. Yeah, it's yeah. always all everything in identity. I can't say it enough. Literally can't. It's a test this out. No beliefs allowed. No overattachments. And again, as always, just because we're passionate, Joseph and I, in these podcasts about the truths of identity, doesn't mean we're married to our truths. We're just dating them. We're just dating our truths. Uh, <laughs> we're not married to them. Uh, and we're written. If we do get pretty heavy-handed in our passion about it, and it looks like we're marrying them, we can always clearly get it, and then we'll divorce uh, and go back. To and, dating. and I can say, when I speak about it, I mean, I'm just. I, I, I'm just natural that way. I, I have a natural passion and conviction in the way that I speak. But in my day-to-day -day application of this stuff, yes, oh, right. there's plenty of doubt, plenty yeah. of doubt and confusion and not wanting. And, you know, it's hard. So Absolutely right. Uh, I love that you said that and qualified that because without that qualification, um, the, the, the rubber doesn't, the theory doesn't take application to the real world. And it's more pie in the sky stuff. And if any, if identity is anything, it's it's finally the end to the pie in the sky stuff, because it it has a a, a a way to bring us into direct application, like this topic today. Mm -hmm. How many people think of relation? How the link between relationality and our own, how we create or how we shape our own personal realities. Yes. It becomes obvious if we just say a few sentences about it, but that's mm -hmm. not out there in the conditioned world. Yeah. So, and what's the proof of all this, how off we are about our definitions and understanding of relational space? Well, despite more than a few thousand years of anthropological, moral, psychological, humanistic, philosophic, and spiritual ways to address the issue, why is the domain of human relationality? the most stubbornly problematic arena of human experience, individually, culturally, societally, religiously, collectively. What could possibly explain it? Mm -hmm. Well, what if it's what if, what if it explain it's explainable because our assumption about the essence of human consciousness um, is wrong. I think therefore I am, I am unworthy before God, therefore I am worthy <laughs> before God. Yeah. Uh, 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 I, I am non-dual, therefore I am not. Um, all these uh, uh, existential statements of our relationship to reality, that's, that's all we, or I'm a body mind, or I'm a body, therefore I am. 
What if all of those, which are all the, the algorithms of our perception and definitions of reality and identity, what if they're just not true? That's why identity steps in and says, what if the main, most pr primal algorithm of human consciousness is we feel, therefore we are. And I say it specifically that way because Brie brought this one time and I changed it. The original was, I, I, I feel, therefore I am. But Brie said, well, wait now. Um, uh, yes, that is true. But what good is that if it's not brought into relationship with reality? And ah, so we made it a plural. We 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 relationalized. And that was Brie's idea. We feel, therefore wait, in, we are. In relationship to reality or in relationship with other? Well, others' realities. Uh, come oh, along okay, others. others. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you uh. see, I was just being general there, not yeah, but you yeah. brought it specific, right? So we feel that the identity offers a we feel, therefore we are, basis of human consciousness opens up awareness and ahas about the nature of look at diagnosing and treating all that ails humankind. It changes the, uh, the, the, the um, pH. Uh, utterly changes the uh, the pH from acid to base uh, by starting with a we feel, therefore we are basis of consciousness. Because a we feel, therefore we are basis puts us in direct contact with how we, uh, uh, how transparent our personal realities are twisted. If you if you if you diagnose with I think, therefore I am, or I am non-dual, therefore I am not or I'm unworthy before God, therefore I'm going to be worthy before God. That's a real, that one really gets my my uh, abdomen in a twist. Um, is, is, is We feel therefore we are gives us direct information and access to our unconscious. And if we don't get that, our personal reality is going to be a hodgepod oleo of thrown together, poorly patched um, uh, patches over holes in the way that we relate, relate with ourselves and with others and divine being as, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact. So, um, so whatever metric or set of principles we use to um, define human consciousness, this is going to determine down line how we relate to relationality because it's always us being one pole of the relational space. Mm -hmm. So, and th these are parameters and algorithms of looking at relationality that we have to cover first before we start going further deeper into the content of what it means to actually inhabit relational space. We've got to get clearer here about our, our bigger picture first, and then we'll go to the smaller picture. Okay. Uh, toward the end of these, this series, we'll be focusing at least three of them on intimate relational space, which is the most problematic um, personally uh, for most people. And so and where, where sexuality is involved and emotions are involved together equally, even if people don't feel them, they are equally. Uh, this is where most of the um, issue about relationality really comes home to the most kinds of heartbreak and joyfulness. It also, fe so, also feels like we're uh, on a current event topic right now because I don't know of all the couples I'm familiar with. I don't know anyone who is in smooth sailing, like loving life, having a great time with each other right now. It seems to be like there's something in the ethers that is um, stirring, uh, the mud muddying the waters and stirring the pot and whatever. Yeah, a good, that's a good metaphor, uh, Joseph, because and the cause of the muddying the waters, think of it, think of the uh, um, a lake 
uh, or an ocean, doesn't matter, tectonic changes in the seabed or the ocean. Oh, bed nice. I get it. Are going to uh, throw up uh, all sorts of muddy waters because there's, there is tectonic shifting in the basis of all of our uh, soulful based personal realities uh, to the yin. And it's, uh, it's every day becoming more and more intense. But just if you were the, the sole creator of your life, though, you could just oh, use your mind to yes. set aside all of that and not be affected by the tectonic changes at the deepest levels of consciousness for our entire species. Right. And uh, <laughs> and all you're going to wind up doing there uh, is um, is a uh, water skiing. <laughs> right? And so uh, distortion in, distortion out. Right. Mm. Uh, assumption goes to reality. But in point of fact, let's slow it down just a little because this is a big one in relational space too. You said we use our mind, but we have to be careful. It's accurate, but we use our will. Yes, will. Our mind, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know you meant that. Oh, no, that's a, I appreciate the distinction. That's better, yeah. uh, We are, our our second most primal aspect of consciousness is willfulness. Mm -hmm. But what we learn, because our parents are accountable, when they um, conditioned us with their uncritically thought over or meta about their own belief system, what they did was cause us literally, because we're just babies and children, uh, they, they, our first line of defense is to use our will to use our mind to mm -hmm. defend against uncooperative or, or insober or dissonative realities that our, our souls feel, but the parents think are completely sober and right. But our souls are going to register as children how, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, what? Um, that wait, what is actually when it starts to begin, we we start using our will, our, our will to use our mind to understand and thereby rise above water ski, rise above the reality oh, of our emotive death. Because at the feeling level, at the emotive level, it's incoherent. It doesn't yes. feel right. And no. so you, if you dwell in that, you go literally insane. You dwell yes. in that emotive contradiction. So then you then the will uses the mind to be like, okay, well, let's make sense of this then. Exactly. Uh -huh. It gives us meta and arm's length distance from the dystrophy, the dystrophic emotional landscape that it creates. Mm. People who can't call up will to use mind to defend as we said last time, tend to be the people who are not functional, homeless in institutions or um, clinics. Um, they can't cope. They, they can't cope yeah. because, the, and I've only read one psychologist years ago. It was a woman. I don't, I don't remember her name. I, I never heard this outside of identity before, but one, there was one woman uh, therapist, I believe, um, who also said a similar thing that People who are institutionalized or non-functional are actually more emotively healthy mm -hmm. than people who cope. Mm -hmm. And so this has been a linchpin of identity's uh, teaching for a long time. And to have a, a someone outside of identity cooperate, that was really satisfying to me, yeah, uh, really and truly. So here we are in the modern day. You know, we we know so much more about re about relationality, dynamical diagnoses, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm okay, you're okay, I, thou, blah, 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 blah. Um, but that knowledge-based aboutness 
is formatted as a concept-based abstraction. Mm -hmm. And in that way, it's not an embodiment of the actual architecture of, re of uh, relationality, which is emotive first, like everything else. And it that creates, and it, it creates when you take it to its logical extreme, it creates a kind of strategic partnership or uh, it makes me think of what was the, we, we just in Soul Species, uh, uh, a benevolent manipulation. I was thinking of the Carpathian yes. oh, way yes, of doing yeah. things. It was like mm -hmm. a benevolent mm -hmm. control or strategic benevolence or something. And yes. that's what to me like um, very heavily worked on uh, relationships in alternate um, you know, psychological paradigms. They have a kind of, pla they, have, they just smell like uh, when you unwrap something um, that's made of plastic. There's this plasticky oh, flavor. Good point. Yes, yes. And a uh -huh. sheen, and you're like, well, they appear to be getting along really well, but like uh -huh. I can't, it doesn't seem really real. It's kind of like a cartoon version of itself or a, um, mm -hmm. because the, 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 those concepts have been taken so deeply that it's become a mental body mediated um, behavior modification um, navigated relationship instead yes. of a, um, the which is like a horizontal skating movement rather than a let's investigate the way we process reality and make that more accurate and see if we still want to hang out together dynamic. Yes. You know, just, just you saying that just reminded me of um, how often you'll hear out there in psychology or self-help land. Um, the way to negotiate uh, conflict is simply use the words, um, I hear you. <laughs> Uh, I, I hear you. I understand. You. Yes. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, uh, and uh, but then they don't follow it up with then questioning what's your algorithm of understanding, uh, or what's your algorithm of, um, of of acceptance or hearing. You see, uh, most of the time that's just a strategic ploy to um, appear to be more meta and wise about a conflict, and then actually to sink into what's actually going on emotively. Yeah, right? and I've gotten myself in all sorts of trouble in those kinds of situations when I point to, um, so why is it you would think that? Like trying to get yes. to, and I already know often why yes. they think that. <laughs> right. But sometimes better than they do, and boy, people yes. very, they don't like that at all. No, no, they, no, no, no. No, you're holding, you're holding them responsible for their, for their, relationship with reality in those moments right in, in ways they're they're very often not conscious of so it's like you're trying to pull the curtain off of of uh, what the protection mechanism is dedicated its life to keeping covered but yes. what what do you do in a situation like that when the their expectation is you're going to negotiate positions and you yes. want to get interested in the underpinning reality differences between you and them Exactly. Exactly. That, that those conversations tend not to go very well for me. Do you have some secrets <laughs> that, that you use? What do you do? Well, uh, you know, this that's the right question. It's a reasonable question, but until you you take in the soul age, the soul uh, species, yeah, yeah. the spacer version of themselves, which is inherently uh, wounded and, and and refracts reality. We can't, it might be different answer for different soul yeah. species, older souls, younger souls, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But the, the bottom line is just what we started out this today, Joseph, the tragedy uh, of it is that people just are not conditioned to be curious about how they process reality. What are the algorithms? And so bottom line to this part of the podcast, you know, um, just look at the state of the world at the moment, 
and we have been working with I, I uh, the I is non-dual, therefore I am not. I am unworthy before God, therefore I am worthy before God, or I think therefore I am. That combination have been has been operating as global algorithms for almost five thousand years, between four and five thousand years. And look at the state of the world that it has created. If if it was going, if any one of those were going to work by now, they would have worked. So identity simply steps in and says the prosecution rests. We need a new algorithm of how we process reality before we can ever have a relationship with ourselves, with others, or with divine being. Right, and that algorithm is being is introduced in identity as we feel, therefore we are. And it changes everything. Things that you could not imagine start coming clearer to the will and the mind and the body down line um, become clearer and less muddied. So again, we're just offering an alternative to about 5,000 years of algorithmic definitions of human consciousness. <laughs> the governing dynamics of human consciousness is hereby the gauntlet, the the glove is the gauntlet is thrown. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a new we have a new uh, um, uh, uh, algorithm in, in in town, and that is we feel, therefore we are. And again, uh, there is no great, deeper, more applicably human domain of of uh, of, of of human interaction more affected than uh, relationality when it comes to we feel, therefore we are. So. Um, Let's let's talk about uh, well let's like kind of um cone, uh, what's the a coning down to um, uh, sorry a funnel funnel, funnel. yeah let's funnel down to some of these um, more meta understandings here of what we're going on uh, one when we're when we're talking about personal reality one of the first um, things that we've been malconditioned about is um, the difference between um, the uh, the primacy of the individual and the primacy of the group grouping, uh, our whole historical narrative of a, as a human species could only have gotten to this day if we uh, uh, because we started out with a collective group first individual second algorithm of survival, right? What's good for the group, uh, the clan? Let's say if we want to go back that far, what's good for the tribe or the clan? was uh, to survive um, against marauding other clans of humans uh, in back way back in the day. Uh, the um, pre preferences and needs of the individual, any individual in the group had to be subsumed for the survival of the group itself, for food access, for shelter access to shelter, food, uh, safety for child, child rearing, all these things. So we come from a historical narrative based in collective good outshines individual good, right? We've talked about this uh, tangentially in other podcasts, but um, there's something um, uh, m m something moved when Descartes finally came in and said, I, we think we, therefore we are. Something moved and our algorithms of consciousness hasn't caught up. Wait, wait, Descartes said, I think therefore I am. You just, yes. you just said, we think, you just said something else. Oh, did I? Oh, it's I thought okay. I said, we, we think we, therefore. Oh, we I, okay. I think I, mean, I weified him. Okay, uh, no, that's fine. I, I can't, that's still my mistake. But, um, <laughs> at that, but he that did, moment, that's what he meant, yeah. Yes. Uh, 
that's the that his his de declaration uh, shifted from mystical uh, um, Eastern and Western um, worldviews to the individual started the age of reason basically, and all of humanism. Petrarch, well, Petrarch way back in Greece uh, actually was the first humanist. That's a really interesting topic. Yeah, there was too. a lot of individualism in, yeah. uh, uh, and then it just the Dark Ages was sort of a giant pause to that, and then they picked up where they left off. Exactly. So in that sense. Um, uh, Descartes' uh, declaration finally gave room for a change from survival-based algorithms of collective out, collective good outshining individual good to the fact that the individual had a right to its own needs and wants to be served. And of course, mysticism, and, and again, we can reference the Catholic Church as the most um, uh, 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 colorfully hued um, distorter of, of reality in, in this domain, that um, the whole idea of altruism, which we've taken to task in 20 different ways in this podcast. <laughs> we beat up um, altruism uh, so, so, so badly. <laughs> so, um, but let, let's, let's start at the very- I just, I just made it, I just connected some dots I never saw before. The the golden ages in, you know, in Athens and in, uh, in Islam a couple of years, hundred years, I think, like, I think, the middle of the dark ages were the golden ages for the Islamic empire. Yes. Um, but whenever that's the golden age always features individuals creating great works of technology and art and science. And it's always when they're not in survival mode, they're not in war. Yeah. And so then they can de-collectivize because they're yes. not under this super stressful environment. I never made that connection before. Yeah. The collective good was only an algorithm that applied to a survival uh, space. And then as soon as you take a group of people and have them be in thrival territory when there's no war and there's enough food, they naturally right. individualize. I mean, that's amazing yeah. proof of the, what we're saying here. <laughs> the, yeah. And let's let's take that one more step. Basic ABC. Let's talk real ABC here. And, I, and, I, and it, makes, it embarrasses me to point this out because there's so much still persistent collectivistic good over individual good um, made, made into spiritual um, uh, uh, um, uh, laws by both mystical Christianity, for example, and Eastern non-dual. Eastern non-dual is there is no such thing as the individual. So, <laughs> so it's about that's the ultimate of dropping out the individual, right? It's all an illusion. But if we stick with the Western at the moment, I'm sorry, again, I apologize for stating the obvious, but an individual can exist without a group, but a group metaphysically cannot exist without individuals. Excuse me, doesn't that, isn't that been staring us in the face all along? I'm not saying an individual can thrive alone. Mm -hmm. I can, I'm saying an individual can exist and survive um, with but a group, by definition, requires individuals. The, the philosophical term, I believe, for that is ontologically prior. Yes, ontologically prior. And this is what we mean by emotive, emotive primacy. It's ontologically prior to mm -hmm. um, willful met, um, mental and physical uh, co um, uh, dimensions of being. So in that sense, um, relational space... And this is where we come forward, right at the relational space from this, this ground, that, that if the individual is the unit of the, uh, uh, of the very existence of groups, of grouping from two to whatever, then in, in that sense, um, all relational space is downline 
of the individual contributions to it. In other words, if if you put me, the Pope, and um, the Dalai Lama in a room, into and they walk into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you can make a joke about that. Uh, uh, I I can't do that at the moment. At this moment, I feel like I'm I'm one of those um, guys uh, in the in the gondolas in the Venice with the pole. You know, uh-huh. um, I've got I don't know where we're going, but I know I'm going that way with yeah. the water of the theme of this podcast, <laughs> right? So uh, when we talk about relational space, we're talking about it starts with the individual. It starts with the individual. And all the individuals in any grouping, whether it's two, like in a relationship, three, if it's in a polyamory or four or five, uh, or, or you've got orgiastic uh, stuff going on in uh, in cults. And, but wait, and, what happens in the bar with you, the Dalai Lama and the Pope? Oh, I said, I can't make a joke out of that. You'll have to make a joke out of it. <laughs> but you were oh, going to say yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah. No, but not about walking into a bar. I'm well, sorry. if you guys were in a conversation, you were going to make a relationality <laughs> well, example, right? I just put it happen? in a bar. That's all. Right. We, the, our, our absolutely antithetical um, worldviews um, would be, would if we tried to be, um, what's, the, what's the ecumenical? <laughs> well, on what basis could I negotiate my personal reality and belief system with the popes, which is, which uh, whenever he's in doubt of those, he sits down and prays until he finds his faith again, right? Mm-hmm. And the Dalai Lama, when he ever questions his, which I'm not sure he ever does, he just sits down and meditates for a while. Um, I do neither. And so um, the, us three individuals are technically having a collective group, but our personal personal realities are so uh, uh, um, dis, dis, um, not continuous, dis, un, uh, disresonant, unresonant, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that a real relational space can't be inhabited to anyone's satisfaction. So what we what we're trying to say with that example here is that relational space is downstream of the personal realities of the individuals comprising of it. Which means if a if a group a group is uh, emotional sobriety, the emotional sobriety benchmark or the emotional maturity of any group is an accumulative aggregate of the emotional maturity factor of all the individuals. And since no one in the history of consciousness on this planet anyway, has ever been entered adulthood as emotionally mature, every group, every collective, governmental, institutional, uh, spiritual or religious or social or cultural um, is going to be inhabited by emotionally immature beings including identities. Um, it's just that an identity we are test, we're testing um, uh, 2.0, we're testing how individuals can heal themselves of their emotional immaturity. So the point in the structural, we're, we're talking about structure now, um, we have been conditioned by all of our cultures, all of our religions, all of our families, that that the 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 eye pole of relational space i and other we've been taught to start it with other mm. what does the other need what does the other want if i start with my own i'm going to be labeled downline somewhere as selfish narcissistic uh, uncaring about others um, and the opposite i'm going to not be altruistic it all starts at home 
what what is well, as children we learn that if we cry all night mama's not going to be happy or papa right uh, so when they react to our crying all night which is probably most babies who cry all night because they're, they're they've been born into a very toxic soulful atmosphere and they have no other way of communicating it so on top of that when the parents get upset the child is going to pick up even an infant's going to pick up that dissonance in the field and it's going to add to the dissonance they're crying about mm -hmm. so there we're right away and that's just one example um, of how the parents reality the other pole is the most important oh, wait, one. hold on a second i never got that before um i never heard you say that that the the child's upset upsets the parents and then the child picks that up that creates a negative feedback loop yes i never saw that before yeah and 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 structurally what's happening is where's the importance go we're powerless as babies we can't even sit up yet um, we're writhing around on the on on the in our little cribs and and so we are conditioned so deeply existentially that the needs and wants of the parents are more important than the needs and the wants of the child now, as a matter even, of life and death it's literally literally um and that's not blaming parents hey if i had to get up at seven o'clock and uh, go work uh, um and I, my child kept me up all night my goodwill and love for that child for the first week i might be able to bear it but you know that's just being human we're not blaming parents we're simply saying the net effect of our world whether it was a thousand years ago or today is that the family in survival modes uh inside the sub inside of clans and tribes the family's good always predated the good of the individuals kids had to toe the line how many military kids have to call their dad sir oh, you know gosh. i've i've known many um mm -hmm. so the the parental reality becomes the reality in the value system the children are subjected to in that sense we are conditioned from birth to the other pole has primacy in relational space as opposed to us and freeing ourselves of that deep existential um uh conditioning is crazy making amen in other words identity steps in and says if the individual existentially and practically predates a secondary relationship with other if that we i feel we feel therefore we are and all of us are operating on that it's a, the identity offers we have to start with the eye pole to ever, ever way down line, get any headway on questioning our reality. If we're constantly starting with the other pole, mm -hmm. it's always gonna be about the world. The world is screwed up, my parents are screwed up, society is screwed up. Um, you've gotta start with how you feel in your eye pole, that that has the primacy. And so you know, the reverse, go ahead. Uh, when I work with people in more collectivistic cultures, like uh, fairly recently in India and in uh, Asia, I it, the other orientation is so much more that yes. it, it really illuminates how much people do this in general. It's like when you try to get them to look at themselves, yeah. the difference between someone in the States or Western Europe mm -hmm. and um, in these other more collectivistic cultures, it's really stark. It's like it's almost like they run into a wall and yeah. they literally cannot look at themselves and they, they can't find an identity that's not a we in some ways. Yes. That's, it's really interesting. 
Yeah, great point. And it cripples that, them. It absolutely cripples them as individuals. A perfect example of that is in, in how that other pole conditioning us. Let's, let's go to the Far East and Middle East, um, mm -hmm. where family still is in the dark ages, that that has more priority. And that's in arranged marriages. Mm -hmm. right? uh, the absolute yeah. most toxic form of it starts with the other pole. Mommy and daddy's uh, picture of whom I should marry is more important than mine, right? That there that started in childhood. It didn't start when you became marriable age. <laughs> uh, this toxic stuff started in uh, uh, the, the 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 conscious the CQ of collectivistic cultures and families is so low. It's stuck. It's stuck in the Middle Ages, and and the, and this this is a gentle way and a heartful way of toning that truth instead of criticizing with rage, but inside, when you start to feel the damage done to adults who have, who've never, exactly back to what you said, have never been conditioned that their needs and wants have viability and sacredness to it. Uh, this is what you run up against. Uh, and and, and uh, same thing in Italians. Yeah. It's Italian. literally yeah. like, I just want to say a bit more about it. It's literally like they can't they cannot access like the if there's a box somewhere in their being where the how you how they process reality can be witnessed. It's like they they can't get in. It's no, you. Yeah. It, it's like I just was watching uh, been watching old episodes of ER recently, and they uh, there, there was this neurological test that I went down this Google rabbit hole with. They did the, the neurologist said, so you you find a, a stamped sealed addressed envelope on the street. What do you do with it? And of course, mm -hmm. the answer is you mail it. But mm -hmm. they use that as a neurological test to see if the person can make good judgments. And if they get like upset and can't answer, it means something's wrong with their brain. That's oh, what right. it feels like when I'm talking yes. to people in the East yes. right. and try to get them to look at how they process reality. They just kind of go blank and get like vaguely upset. They don't even know why. It's really right. creepy. It is. And and look at look at how twisted this whole analysis becomes in terms of global relationality. Oh my god. The United States is based on the individual, the first governmental covenant based on the good of the individuals, not the group. It was a true republic starting out, a true republic. Look at the mess of our culture based on starting with the I pole of relational space. Mass murders. Uh, gun, uh, non-existent gun control, uh, drug use, um, uh, murders, and and dystrophy, and just about every direct greed and and power mongering. Oh, they're, they're all looking at it from the cultural spiritual point of view, from the east and the far east. Going, look at the mess they're making of their lives based on this selfish, yeah. um, I, I um, 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 emphasis on I need as versus what is good about what is good about the family or the culture or what the world needs right so um we look really bad here in the states because we've we made a mess of things we're but making everybody a mess loves of the things. freedom they love the well freedom. yeah <laughs> and and this is why the best metaphor that i can come up with this is that um cultures that uh, cultivate cultivate the cult of the family mm -hmm. where the parents needs and wants surpass the ones of the children past the age of two or one um these are this is the childhood phase of human evolutionary consciousness uh, the the united states stood for the first teenage version wait a minute 
I matter just as much as mommy and daddy matters, or just as much as what the Pope says. My beliefs and my truths are just as important. So in that sense, um, what a, ever go into a teenager's bedroom? Mm. Uh, it's a mess. Uh, it's in rebellion. It's uh, it, 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 The United States culture is a teenager's bedroom. Just because it's a mess doesn't mean it's it's uh, algorithmic underpinning isn't more sober than the ones that are still doing arranged marriages and and uh, 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 the different tribes killing each other in in uh, Arab Israeli and uh, Islamic and Christian all these tribes still fighting it's all group crap uh, uh, it doesn't mean that there's going to be no wars if we start with the eye but. Only starting with the eye do we have room to heal the eyes. And we need to heal all the eyes of humans so they can create healthier, real groups of all kinds. Because the eye, the individual, precedes um, the group, existentially, metaphorically, flow-wise. And I always love, at least in in English, (laughs) we've talked about this a while back in the old uh, 1.0, but... Uh, what what's hidden in the English word individual? In non-divided to. Oh right. Yes. Individual, right? Right there, non-divided to. Well, what is what does Zen say? Not two, not one, right? Um, something about that is really funny to me. It's just language. It's just semantics. But it, it something is captured there. So if we don't start with the individual, the I and the pole, the two poles of I and other uh, in relational space, if we start with other, all we're going to get is the world that we've created. And there's a temporary disruption in that in America and westernized uh, cultures where what what a um, what a, an amazing thing that it's a real mess. But uh, 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 the United States uh, is based on I-ness. And has that somehow put United States in some sort of very in the hierarchy of, of uh, nations, uh, right up near the leadership for all these years, the last two hundred years, uh, the last hundred years anyway. So there's something going on here, even if we are in a teenager's bedroom. But when you start with the parents. God's will is more important. My mommy's will for who I marry is more important. Well, that's hierarchical rather than holarchical, going back to episode 12 or whatever it was. Exactly right. So let's start our conversation. Uh, we're setting sort of parameters here. For, there's a, uh, I'll, I'll, there's a practical application of this um, I've sometimes run into when I'm sort of uh, c- occasionally I'll coach people on their parenting, and there's a really simple distinction I'll sometimes talk about that seems to actually surprisingly work quite well. And it is when I see the paradigm of the parent that I'm talking to, they have this idea that with their 12, 13, 14, and and a little older age, that they're still trying to like tell the kid who they are and how Uh they should be. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that was your job like for the first five or 10 years. Yeah. There Mm -hmm. has to be a transition to they're becoming their own person. And, and, I so wish that, you know, one of my parents had said to me at age 12, like, hey, we've given you our picture of reality and our truths and our opinions and all our beliefs, all that as best we can, because you were too young to do any of your own thinking. But you're 12 now and now you can begin to do your own thinking. 
a lot of our job's done now. We're here to support you to find out what your picture of reality is that may yes. differ from ours. Yes. And if it does, that's okay. Let's talk about it. And it can be different. And we'll help you do the critical thinking and we'll help you find the consequences of your actions. But instead, both parents, instead, parents tend to grip what they want their kid to become with truths and service. Like, well, I have to make sure they're successful and they've got to have a better education than I have and all this other made up shit as if they know who their little being is supposed to become instead exactly. of being curious about who they're in the process of becoming. There it is right there, the lack of curiosity. Yeah. And that that starting with the other pole of, of parents um, is even more insidious. We just talked about outer express stuff. There's mm -hmm. inner counter transferential neediness is going on all the time oh, yeah. where parents literally feed off the child, their children. The, the, a lot of times for mothers and sometimes fathers too, having a child is the first time they feel bandwidths of love like this. And then unconsciously, what they're going to do is they're going to grip onto the child Yep. Um, and start feeding off of them or living through them to make up for their own dystrophic childhoods all unconsciously, right? So this starting with the other pole is not just in, in expressed attitudes, beliefs, and, and um, uh, um, uh, uh, orders of how the family should be or who's got the more, who's holding the, the more important uh, need at any moment. Uh, it's insidiously internal and the child is being raped literally or lived through by parents, uh, more mothers than fathers, um, unconsciously and innocently by mothers who never did their emotional homework before they ever had a child. So this, this whole uh, seeding of the other pole starts with parents and a lot in a lot of cultures, as you've just been saying, ends with parents. It started when they were an infant, and now it's happening where they can tell the they feel like they have the right to tell the, the child who to marry. Or if in an Islamic culture, uh, certain Islamic sects, um, if a if a daughter um, has sex before marriage, then there's an honor killing that's okay. Oh God, that a brother has a right in Islamic law or a father to kill a daughter who has had sex outside of their prearranged marriage moment. I mean, this kind of stuff is um, is in the news just as much as any it, of these other domains. There's a, another practical uh, discovery exercise that you can do if your parents are still alive is um, to notice how often they give unsolicited advice as if their opinion is some kind of absolute authority. Mm -hmm. And um, it's that's to, to the, the transition that parents don't make at 18, 22, 25, where they don't start to actually relate to their kid as a grown adult capable of making their own decisions. They can't get out of that I'm the authority paradigm and right. to realize like that was there all along, that there was a disrespect to the self-authority right. of the being from day one. Yes. Um, the, no curiosity of like, well, what does this soul have to offer? What is what is its direction, his or her direction or whatever? Um, and instead, they just take this, you know, king, queen, authority place like I have absolute control and power over this little being and will forever. And I find it just so remarkable how um, I'm far more successful, for example, than either of my parents ever even tried to be. And mm -hmm. like they still think they can give me money advice. <laughs> 
I like, get it. And I don't ask you for it. They'll ask, and then, you know, you know, you know, Joseph, money is blah blah blah. I'm like, wow, like you think you know something about money that I don't? Like I could teach you stuff about money for days. Are you kidding me? Yeah, like, that was always there. It's astonishing. Yeah, and and so anytime an adult child um, is uh, a parent is using guilt on them, take care of my feeling and my needs more than yours. Um, this started when you were an infant, and this is important to put into the space here this way. So another way to sum up what we've said so far and to go to the next step here before we finish today is that um, emotive immaturity, uh, which is the result of not having any conditioning to have the freedom to start with the eye pole, which allows self-introspection to question our belief systems, when that plays out, uh, we have emotional immature individuals creating emotionally immature relational space. And we have a name for that. It's called codependence. Mm -hmm. um, there can be locked out and locked in forms of codependence, which we'll get to um, uh, later on in the series. But um, that whole point, let's let's make a simple arithmetic kind of sim symbology here. Um, identity offers that emotionally immature individuals create um, three different uh, mathematical equations, let's say. Uh -huh. uh, one plus that. one equals zero. One plus one equals minus one. Or one plus one is two. Now, in the one plus one equals zero, um, what we mean by that is the zero is mostly lack of negatives. <laughs> it's uh, one plus one equals, well, we have a great relationship if there's a lack of um, negatives. One plus one equals, that's one plus one equals zero. One plus one e equals minus one is where um, where the minus one is, it's rife, rife with uh, negatives, right? And the one plus one equals two, in an identity's uh, opinion, is fine. It's fine, but it's not fulfillingly soul deep, right? Identity offers that when an, an individual starts with the eye pole, investigates vertically their own basis for their belief systems and, the, and how they shape their own reality, not create, is that it creates one plus one equals three, where the, the relationship itself becomes a player that is constantly affecting the personal realities of the two. Right? So identities, uh, uh, interdependence, which we'll talk about in our last couple uh, episodes here, um, is about um, emotively mature people creating emotively, emotively mature intimacy where one plus one equals three, not as an absence of negatives, but a, and a presence of positives, meaningfulness, passion, uh, um, uh, uh, value system resonance, um, companions uh, in life uh, that don't have to be perfect in order for it to work. Um, this is the kind of relationship Vista that um, identity looks at when it looks at how individuals shape not only their own reality, but they shape the shape of their relational space with others, whether that's a group or an individual in, a, in, a, in an intimacy, right? So um, it, this, this simple premise of the primacy of the individual over the group uh, is actually still so, so um, misunderstood, even at the existential place. 
uh, that there's any that there's collectivism of any kind in this world so far just speaks to how much this is still in people's personal realities creating it yeah right i mean communism would never have existed if we started with a we feel therefore we are um because marx's otherwise wonderful idea to try to free the the uh the people from the the uh, horrible abuses of landowners and 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 beginning uh, um, industrials um uh, and ol oligarchical excesses uh, it was always doomed to um collapse so spectacularly as it did in the Reagan area because collectivism in an i-based republic is or an i-based republican led world has no more application to the human condition collectivism simply doesn't and that was simply a um a collapse of the purest communistic system at the time yeah china's gotten away with it because they've somehow created a hybrid between a republic and uh, a, a communist regime and uh it's it's held together with smoke and mirrors um even if it's working mm -hmm. uh, just because it's working uh, doesn't mean um, a torture machine works but that doesn't mean it's a good thing or will last the test of time mm -hmm. so in this sense um <clears throat> How, where the rubber meets the road here and aiming to um, kind of pull all this together so far is um, in identity you'll never hear I have to um, we have to work on our marriage or we have to work on our relationship um, you'll never hear that in identity what you'll hear in identity is that we have to identify and work on how each of us brings some aspects of our own individual self to self problems into, into the secondarily inform our problematic self to other relational space. Uh, that was fancy words. In other words, um, we don't work on relationships or marriages and identity. We work on the way the self to self realities of the two people in intimacy inform and create the shape of the relational space. Because they're so, the ones they're the ones negotiating how they process reality. There is no noun relationship to no. work on. It's just no. the result of the two people's way of processing reality when they're in the same room. That's what exactly creates the exactly right exactly. And and you know what always tickles my uh, first chakra and seventh chakra actually together um, is how the Buddha um, already taught this in an existential domain that um that the center self what we call the ego he, he he defined that as a verb not a noun he defined it as there's no difference between the experiencer and experience therefore whatever sense of i we have um it's going to be a, a, a synthesis and a, and a conglomerate or an aggregate of what we experience it's a verb it changes every moment it's the same principle that you just said here um that uh um in an in, in individual intimacy that way uh the relationship is a verb it's not a noun we don't say the marriage or the relationship we the most we'll call it is a relatedness in that way because the relation the relatedness between two people is a verb and we have to work on the verbness of that and that's exactly commensurate with how our own self-to-self -self reality is a verb and should be and it's not a noun 
So the, when the when the Buddha never taught Advaya, didn't didn't teach anything about non-duality or um, the self as an illusion. It, he just said uh, your your feet aren't aren't in the same river moment to moment, um, and that means that um, our selfhood is a verb. Therefore, the secondary relational space that we create is also a verb. Now we want to nounify everything because then we think we can manage it, but all that does is deaden the aliveness. Deaden the aliveness. They we, gra we gravitationally weight it down with nounness when there's no such thing as nounness in personal consciousness. I just want to so. uh, repeat something you just said that I'm writing down here because you said okay. that very quickly and that was brilliant. We want to nounify everything because we think then we can manage it. Yes. That's control. That's control. That's using the will to use the mind to put categorization as our algorithm segmentation instead of the verb of wholeness flow you see and once you have a paradigm based that human consciousness is itself a wholeful flow of emotivity when you add that little tincture to it all of a sudden you're you're not you're you're com you're commensurately resonative with reality wow but it's yeah so hold on a second here um we want to nounify everything because then we think we can manage it. And where there's the most chaos in our lives is in intimate relationship. Yes. And it matters the most to us. Yes. So we bring the most nounification to that realm in yes. attempt to nounify the ultimate not noun, love. Yeah. Yes. The and ultimate not noun love and then and then we think we can manage that because we so desperately need it and in the nounification it's just like reaching for a stick in the water pushing it further away by splashing at it um because oh, great it, metaphor and, and then people who are quote successful someone has a successful marriage which is a term that I, when people say i don't know what that means yeah. <laughs> it's a successful marriage. Uh, that that's a successful nounification in that there's it's it's not passionately alive and soulful, but like you said, it's a one plus one equals two. It's fine. It's a productive partnership, yes. and um, it's uh, bearable from one day. Oh, more than bearable. It's it's um, a positive experience more often than it's not. Yes, um, but it's still a noun. Yeah. So the nounification of our world began, it didn't begin, but it became codified with De Descartes' declaration, right? I think, therefore I am. Um, so in that sense, um, what people don't get is that we are in, if they look at the historical narrative of things, um, two other existential algorithms of human consciousness preceded, I think, therefore I am, the mystical religious one and the non-dual Eastern one, right? Um, the present, I think, therefore, I am, is just a phase. And um, if I if I could wave my hand right now, I'd have all church bells all over the world simultaneously start ringing. That that there's a that the time for I think, therefore, I am is over and has been over for a while, and and that we need to start looking at an I feel or we feel, therefore we are algorithm of consciousness that informs everything that we've been saying today. 
No nouns allowed in emotivity. Emotivity is a flow river. It, it changes in whether uh, every moment, but does it unfold maturely and soberly or does it unfold as a verb um, insoberly and toxic? That's only solvable at the vertical um, way between the two partners in intimacy or all the participants in a room. Um, everything starts with the individual, the I pole, not the other pole. And uh, identity would say to anyone who says, well, that's selfish, narcissistic, it go, goes against what Jesus said. You know, and you would say, um, oh, oh, you, you met Jesus? Uh, you, <laughs> you know that for sure, right? Um, so in all these ways, um, we are radically redefining relational space. That's why this is going to be maybe a six or 12 um, uh, um, se uh, episode series, because mm -hmm. There's nothing more important. We've talked about all these other domains in the last 40 odd podcasts, but here is where the rubber meets the most consciousness road in terms of human um, fulfillment, meaning, and uh, alacrity, if I can use that word. Mm. So the so sobriety of our relationships, of our relational space, absolutely pivots on the sobriety of our personal reality. And so what I'd like to do next time is maybe if you can make a note, I'll forget, Joseph. Oh, I'll write it down. We, we want to start with um, uh, the whole reality question. Is there such thing as objective reality? Um, unless, unless we take that one on, we're going to be swimming in shallow waters. Um, and God forbid identity ever swim in shallow waters. I don't right? think we're, I don't think we actually can. Not without like, <laughs> I was going to say not without alcohol or something, but actually when we drink, we get even deeper and lose a bunch of the other people who are at the table non-relationally. We, we do. In, in identity, um, uh, having a little alcohol, not, not that much, um, unplugs the mind and yeah. frees the heart. In vino veritas. Why, why mm. do you think the Romans uh, got hooked that way? Yeah. They knew they could feel because they were Italian, right? They're a four culture that way. Uh, uh, um, the, in vino veritas, uh, uh, remember that alcohol is a depressant not a, a stimulant mm -hmm. and it depresses our inhibitions and so what happened what is our inhibitions nouns <laughs> nounification uh. right right and it, it frees the verbal the illogical mm -hmm. and we can either go tragic angry tragic sad or happy uh, I'm yeah, a happy and of course, myself. it's well known as a social lubricant, and every business function in the world—well, not sure. all, but many of them—have a lot of alcohol. And you know, yeah. if you want to have a great wedding, you need an open bar so everybody will get along. <laughs> <laughs> so we drop out of our noun noun positions into the verbal moment, right? The verb moment, right? Mm. And so that verb moment to moment is the place we want to learn to trust emotively, not just energetically. Uh, I can't, can't say that enough here. We've talked a lot about energetical structures here, this podcast, but we have to infuse those energetical structures with an upstream reality that emotivity is upstream of energy, which is uh, another real stickler for a lot of people. So uh, what, what's that one um, um, uh, word-based, concept-based uh, teaching out there that we're always excoriating? Um, which one? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Neurolinguistic uh, programming? Yes, NLP. Because right, they're, the, they're the badass, uh, uh, most toxic version of it. They nounify experience mm. through the words, word strategies to create realities by words, by nouns. 
and they start at the opposite end and call it primary. This is the most, this is, I, I, every time I think of NLP, I think of a camel who has found its way to put its head up its, um, uh, uh, um, <laughs> um, uh, what's, uh, up its ass. Okay, I have to, I can't think Why of another Why a camel? Word. Anything could put its I, head I don't up know. its ass. <laughs> uh, a camel stretching underneath itself and putting its head in its butt. Um, because it, it it starts with a downline reality that they call primary. It's mm -hmm. so backwards. It's so Orion-y Geffian uh, in, yeah. in, in my picture. Well, I, Landmark oh. Education, which heavily draws from NLP, uh, says, or at least used to say, that reality is a conversation. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the conversation is made of language. Yes. Therefore, if you change the words that you use, you right. change reality. And that's directly from NLP. That's that's the syllogism right there. Yeah, uh, there's, it's also a solipsism. Uh, <laughs> uh, As a, a metaphysical pun, there, folks. Yes, yes, it's a solipsist uh, thing. So there, look, look at where we left off. The nature of reality is there an objective reality or is it conjecturally conversational? Mm -hmm. You know, what is reality? If we don't. If we don't plant our stones, just our opinions, identities, opinions on this, um, we, we can't really say we've gone from the ground up on how personal reality is ver a verb rather than a noun. Um, so I'd like to take on that whole thing. East I just got I, one more thing. I just got uh, that uh, the reframing, which is are great tools and we, we use them and they're important. But when when a paradigm only goes as deep as reframing, yes. it's swapping one noun for another noun. Yes. Here's a better it's, noun. Right. <laughs> it's moving pieces around a chessboard rather than going down below the chessboard yeah. to see why you're moving on the chessboard horizontally the way you are. Yeah. It's just crazy making, crazy mm. making. Mm. So um, we're going to take on one of the oldest arguments. Uh, 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 what is, is there such a thing as objective reality? And, and are we going to do the subjective versus objective philosophy, history yes. philosophy? Oh, I love that uh, topic. I, I can't yes. wait. Oh, okay, okay so bone up on that because I know you're a fan of that. I uh, will. I think I've still got a T-chart from like 10 years ago that I'm going to find. Okay, okay well, mm -hmm. we're going to identityize that in 2.0. Okay. okay, cool. All right, Joseph, thanks. Thank you so much, Stace, and thank you, okay. listeners. If you've made it, this is episode 46, which is <laughs> twice my favorite number of 23. If you've made it this far, congratulations. <laughs> much more good stuff to come and talk okay. to you soon. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.